Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Industries in Motion. Reminder, RBC Capital Markets hosts these Industry in Motion podcasts to help you explore what's new and what's next in today's fast-moving markets and industries to help you stay ahead of the curve. Please listen to the end of this podcast for important disclaimers. I'm back today. I am Mark Odendahl. I am head of U.S. Capital Markets Research here at RBC. I'm really happy to have a special guest on today, Matt Hedberg. Matt Hedberg is a senior leader within the research department at RBC, covers software. He spent his entire 18-year career at RBC, and we're delighted to have him on the podcast today. The reason we have Matt on today is RBC Capital Markets and all our partners across capital markets came together and hosted our second annual private tech conference in Los Angeles. At this conference, we have several investor sets that look at these private technology companies. It was very timely to have these companies together to talk about some important themes like AI, like the cloud, like cybersecurity. And we have Matt on here to talk about it. All right. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Mark, for having me. It was the RBC Private Tech Conference was just a great event this year. It was our second year back in person. We had nearly 40 software, internet, fintech, and ad tech companies there. Just a lot of really interesting you know, conversations that we had, a lot of leading technology companies that we think really shape the future of the technology space. And so a lot of really fascinating discussions, and I really look forward to you know, talking about some of those today. I don't think we could start a podcast in the technology industry right now without leading with AI, without digging into generative AI. Just how important do you think nailing down an approach to generative AI is to the future of many of the companies you met with? Yeah, it's obviously, already it's a great question and one that comes up literally in every conversation that we have these days. And it was very timely for our conference here. It, it came up in every single conversation with the private companies that we spoke with and candidly, all the public companies that we talked with in other forums. Nearly every management team that we spoke with predicted that Gen AI will disrupt various aspects of both their business, their industry, as well as how customers leverage software. And so having really an approach on generative AI, we think is super important. And I think, you know, what we heard from a lot of management teams is this is an evolving topic. They're listening to how customers, you know, want to consume or leverage generative AI. And I think, you know, ultimately these management teams, the point was, is they're thinking about how they can introduce it to their own product stack, to perhaps leapfrog competition. And so we got the sense that there was a lot of focus on how do you productize it? You know, how do you come up with an individual way to monetize it? Because ultimately we think investors are really looking for a way to see it show up in both growth and perhaps even profitability as a cost saver. And so, yeah, we think that as the future evolves, investors want to see tangible evidence of generative AI. And a lot of these companies that we talked to, whether it was a cybersecurity company, an internet company, an ad tech company, they're all thinking about it. And we think as you know, as the months and, and years progress, it's just going to become more and more entrenched. And candidly, we think a lot of the generative AI technology is coming from these private companies, these smaller, innovative startups versus some of the, the you know, the, the, the public companies that, you know, perhaps perhaps are a bit older and have been around for a bit longer. And so, yeah, we looked to the private companies, some of the innovators in this space. And so it was a real timely event. And, you know, we heard things from cybersecurity, right? You know, not only are bad actors leveraging generative AI to write code, but security companies are leveraging generative AI to come up with a more effective way to stop malware. 
So even in like vertical software companies like the lending market for construction, you know, how can you leverage generative AI in that instance? And we heard just some really, really unique things that I think ultimately are going to continue to percolate up through the industry over the next several years. So with the talk of AI comes the talk of the importance of data. How did the conversations go as as yeah. companies try to best utilize their data sources? When we talk about generative AI, we say we generally think there's two fundamental tenets of success. One is having a cloud native platform and two is having unique data sets. And so it really dovetails into your question, Mark. And we think data is absolutely fundamental to nearly everything today. And it's a topic that we've talked about many, many times on many different instances. In this case, as it relates to generative AI, we think it's super important. We think having some unique data sets will allow these large language models or LLMs to be trained and offer companies really unique insights into merging both public and private data And so we heard from a lot of these private companies, you know, these are generally all cloud native platforms that we heard from about how they can leverage these large data sets. Not only does it make the platform stickier and it allows for easy cross-module sell, but also in the context of generative AI, we think that's really where the innovation is going to come out of. And so companies, whether you're talking about a cyber company or you're talking about a fintech company or internet companies alike, it's about these large data sets. And I think the delta between several years ago when a lot of these were on-premise models, they're just a lot harder to train these LLMs when you're leveraging on-premise data sets. And so, yeah, we think the core of having a cloud-based platform and unique data sets is really critical. And we heard that consistently from all the companies that we spoke with. And so I was really encouraged to hear from these private companies, you know, the focus on the sort of the two most important aspects. And then we'll come down to the ability to monetize it. But having these unique data sets, we think allows them to become more strategic and disruptive, you know, candidly. And and I think, you know, that could have ripple effects to public companies when it comes to disruptors, disrupting disruptors, or when it comes to potential M&A opportunities. That unique data set offers a critical moat that we think offers a real differentiation today. And that was really, really exciting to hear at the conference. So moving on, you know, the development of the public cloud over the last few years has really accelerated the ability for new companies to be formed. And cloud and cloud technology was discussed in every presentation. Hyperscalers like AWS have have dominated so far, but today's environment is pushing companies to keep a closer eye on cost. Can investors or vendors expect much change in the cloud environment? Yeah, so it's it's a great question. And really, you know, after the generative AI question, the the question on cloud optimization and really the cloud migration path is obviously extremely topical to both public and private companies and obviously institutional investors. You know, we think, you know, coming out of COVID, this migration to public cloud resources will continue. Obviously, we're in a period of time now where customers are looking to perhaps optimize cloud spend, become a bit smarter around it. And we I think it's really good hygiene, candidly. A lot of the hyperscalers are actually helping customers optimize some of the spend that came out of COVID. And we think that is a really good practice. So we heard it from a number of private companies that they are, you know, offering tools, for instance, to help customers optimize cloud spend. Not that we're going back to on-premise, but rather we are taking a much more, I think, long-term pragmatic view of the right methodology of leveraging public cloud spend. And in some instances, on-premise spend. And so this notion of hybrid cloud, we think continues to reign supreme. And, and it, we think over time, Yes, we will continue to see a migration toward public cloud, but it could come at a bit more measured pace. And I think ultimately that that positions customers to really feel better about the long-term trajectory of leveraging both public and private cloud spend. 
And so really being smart about cloud spend, we think is the new normal. We think this optimization trend just becomes part of the fabric that IT executives think about when they're rolling out new applications. Some should reside in the public cloud. Some should reside on premise. And really that ability to flip between the two and leverage data in motion, as well as funneling this into large language models from a Gen AI perspective is super important. And so, yes, while the institutional investors are concerned currently about the rate of cloud cost optimization, my main takeaway was that this is a part of the healthy progression to additional cloud spend. But yes, hybrid cloud has been the new normal, remains the new normal. And that ultimately this progression though to cloud spend likely continues just to double click on that Gen AI perspective. Again, we think you know unique cloud data sets are key to unlocking Gen AI technology. And so we do think that, you know, although we're going through this period of cloud cost optimization, ultimately these large data sets continue to move towards the cloud. And so, yeah, it's becoming, I think, a new part of the investment fabric that both customers and companies and investors are thinking about. All right. I uh, can't talk to Matt Hedberg without talking about security. You're one of the leading analysts in cybersecurity on Wall Street. What do you hear from your fireside chats as it relates to security innovation, yep. uh, customer spend in that area? It's the punchline, Mark, is that it remains as robust as ever, right? We touched on it a little bit ago when we talked about Gen AI, right? You know, hackers leveraging code generation tools to create more effective malware. And so effectively, anybody, you know, theoretically could, could create malware with the ability to leverage Gen AI. And so, yeah, cybersecurity was alive and well at the conference. We had a number of leading vendors and investors that we spoke with at the conference. And when we think about some of the more interesting data points, we heard this notion about Microsoft, right? They are a juggernaut in cybersecurity. It remains very topical for both public and private companies when they think about the competitive landscape. We hear from several executives that, you know, today Microsoft is anywhere between 15 to 20 billion in cybersecurity revenue, which is surprising to a lot of folks. We heard that they're on a path to becoming a much bigger cyber vendor, perhaps up to $50 billion. And I think there's ramifications when we hear that. But what we heard was that these cyber vendors are learning to live in that ecosystem of Microsoft becoming a bigger player. And this notion of multi-cloud I think still lends itself to some of these individual unique cyber vendors. The other topic that we heard was that the big get bigger. And I think this is an important theme and it certainly resonates with Microsoft. But we also heard public vendors like Palo Alto, CrowdStrike, Fortinet, Zscaler will continue to gain share. This notion of customers wanting to do more with less is something that we've talked about in the past. And that could relate to the application space within software. But in this case, in cybersecurity, I think this notion of trying to reduce the number of vendors is very relevant with a lot of customers. And so big getting bigger. Now, we also heard from a lot of these innovative cybersecurity startups, they're offering a lot of unique capabilities that candidly, some of the bigger public vendors don't have to offer today. And so while innovation is high and it remains robust in the private company space, and we think over time, you know, a lot of that will migrate its way to the public companies out there. But yeah, the punchline is that the cybersecurity industry remains alive and well. We continue to think the big get bigger, and that includes Microsoft, but also this idea that trying to navigate that environment with Microsoft getting bigger is an important consideration for both companies and investors. So we just ran through some themes from the conference, obviously generative AI, the data that's important for that the cloud environment, and cybersecurity. Let's zoom out a little further. What do you hear about the macro environment from yeah. software companies or tech companies in general? Yeah, it's, it's obviously relevant for institutional investors and really anybody when they think about the health of the IT environment. What we heard from a lot of the private companies there was that demand remains fairly stable. 
right? I think we didn't hear a lot of acceleration, you know, perhaps pockets in cybersecurity here or there, but the demand environment remains fairly stable. We have published a number of reports summarizing the past several earning cycles, and that's generally been the theme as well from public uh, software companies. Certainly, there are pockets of weakness. We saw that on the April earnings season but that the environment remains fairly stable. Now, I will say that the there, there were some exceptions to that. We talked to a number of vertical software companies at the private company tech conference, and that's where we actually heard more robust demand signals, which is really, really interesting to me. We often think that vertical software is one of the more interesting investment categories within software. And the reason is, is a lot of these private companies are going after Markets that have been untouched or less touched by public software companies trying to unlock value in smaller verticals or niche verticals that say Microsoft or SAP or Oracle aren't touching. And in that instance, we heard of very strong demand trends, candidly. And a lot of that is, is these companies are trying to infuse technology into underserved categories. And so vertical software seemed to be a rather robust area of spend. And it's something that you know we're seeing that in public companies, too. We're seeing strong results from vertical software companies like, you know, Bentley or PTC, companies like Viva, companies like Guidewire. And so it was really encouraging to see similar trends in private company software. And, you know, and candidly, we've talked about software eating the world, you know, for the last decade. It's alive and well, right? And I think that was especially prevalent within vertical software companies. And so I do think that the demand signals remain somewhat mixed in private software company lands, which sort of mirrors the public software peers, but that there certainly are pockets of strength, which is encouraging. And ultimately, I mean, I think investors are looking for the second derivative. We do a lot of work on the mosaic theory of job postings, which seem to be stabilizing as perhaps a precursor to more robust demand trends. Cloud cost optimization, which we talked about previously, you know, that could start to show signs of stabilization. So I think there's an, there were certainly some encouraging green shoots that came out of the conference. But nonetheless, I want to be clear, there was certainly, you know, areas of caution, areas of, you know, sort of uncertainty as this year progresses. But I do think that software remains alive and well with the key theme and, and where it can unlock value in underserved categories. That's where we're seeing um, still very, very healthy growth. Yeah, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but the conference was very timely to talk funding. You know, we had in the United States, we had a bank fail that specialized in funding VCs that probably has relationships with a lot of these companies. So what was the general, you know, no specifics, but what was the general feel around funding for these private companies? It's a great question, right? Especially with the cost of debt going up, it's very topical. And and I think what we heard from a lot of these vendors, because we did have several VCs and private equity firms in attendance, is funding is still alive, certainly in areas where there's an increased focus. And you can imagine what I'm going to say next. Generative AI remains obviously a hot topic from a funding perspective. There's a lot of VC dollars going at the generative AI space, funding next next-gen technologies. And so, you know, that remains clearly an area of focus. I think vertical software remains active category where funding is being raised and pushed into some of these technology companies. And so I think, you know, it has to be the right category is what we heard. Funding rounds are still getting done. There is a difference in valuation, you know, which we've talked about previously. You know, deals are still getting done at high valuations where if it's in the right category, deals are getting done elsewhere, not at sort of the same valuations that we've seen previously. But that's part of a healthy approach, I think, to to the future of tech spending. I think the, the question remains is 
you know, how are these companies being funded and how are they being built? And I think that question of what is the next wave of private companies look like is a really relevant question. And I think that would be an, a really nice segue to your next question because it really dovetails. Yeah, nice and I think let's, uh, let's do an advertisement for your recent primer. So Matt recently published along with his partners on the tech team, a primer on software. And the title of the report was the 10X Software Club, who's in it and how do you get there? And so, Matt, what was your purpose in publishing this primer? So the point of the report is on this 10X Club was really to illustrate that in prior funding cycles, prior deal cycles, it was all about growth. And profitability wasn't necessarily in focus. And investors were quite willing to apply high valuations to companies that have very high growth, but really no path to profitability. And the point of this report was to illustrate some rather interesting findings that it's not all about growth anymore. Previously, we saw public software companies trading at 40 to 50 times uh, forward 12-month sales. And obviously, we're not there anymore. But when we look at some of these companies in the 10X, so this is 10 times forward 12-month revenue. We found some interesting trends and that, again, it's not all about growth. We saw companies, a lot of them are vertical software companies like Simsara, like Clearwater Analytics, like like Ansys, like Altair, that are all trading at very high sales multiples, but also have very high profitability levels. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think how investors are attributing value. And this view that profitability matters, we think is an enduring characteristic coming out of the last several years of this economic cycle that we're in. So we think it's a very healthy thing. There's ramifications on the private side, right? It, going back to the prior question, I think a lot of these VCs and PE firms are talking to private companies that, about like, you need a path to profitability. You also, you know, there's clearly a, a focus on, you know, disruptive growth. But also this view that, it, you know, money isn't free and there has to be a view towards profitability. And we think by showing that some of the more valuable software companies on the planet also have strong profitability is a really interesting thing when we think about this next wave of, of private companies coming to market. And I think the question is on a go forward basis, are we going to get more into a growth cycle where profitability sort of takes a step back? the stock-based comp not become the hot topic that it once was. And although when we get more into a growth cycle, I think you know growth will matter. I do fundamentally believe that when institutional investors are presented with an investment thesis on the public side of the market, there has to be a view towards profitability. And I think that's a very healthy dynamic and ultimately leads to, I think, more enduring software valuations and really this long-term compounding nature, software rating the world, software being disruptive, generative AI, big data, cloud, cybersecurity, all really is involved in this idea of profitable growth. And, and ultimately, that was the point of the report. And it had a lot of positive feedback from both public and private companies, as well as investors. And so, yeah, it's an important question. And I'm glad, uh, I'm glad it was certainly relevant in our private company conference as well. So Matt, I just want to thank you. I want to congratulate you and all your partners on the research team and technology for a great conference. I want to also say congratulations to the entire RBC Capital Markets team that put this event on for the second year. It's grown to be a very important event for RBC in the Los Angeles area where RBC has a growing presence. And so just a fantastic event, fantastic primer. Matt, I really appreciate your partnership. Thanks a lot, Mark. It was it was just a great event. It was great to see so many companies and investors in attendance. And, you know, I just I'm really encouraged with where the private tech market is going. And as a precursor to next year, we uh, mark it on your calendars. We'll be back in L.A. in the spring of 2024 with the next wave of private companies. It's such a great event for for the firm and for the L.A. area. And thanks again from, from all of us on the research side. We really enjoy being part of this and, and look forward to next year as well. 
What else lies ahead in today's ever-evolving markets and industries? We'll be keeping track right here on Industries in Motion. Until then, thank you very much for joining today. This episode was recorded June 16th, 2023. Please make sure to subscribe to Industries in Motion wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to continue this conversation or you're interested in more information associated with the primer or with the conference, please contact your RBC representative directly or visit our website at www.rbccm.com forward slash industries in motion for further insights. Thank you. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.